Hi, everyone, and welcome to State of the Revolution, a Michigan progressive podcast. I'm Leanne O'Shea. And I'm Nick Trim. Thanks for tuning in and keeping up with the revolution. This week, we talked with Karina Freeman and Cece Mozella about their work with the Freed Peoples, an organization focused on the intersections of race, politics, and community education, and Love GR, a direct aid network dedicated to the unhoused community in Grand Rapids. Hello and welcome to our new format here at State of the Revolution. My name is Leano Sharon. I've been a progressive activist since the early 1980s. In 2016, I joined the Michigan Democratic Party to push the party left. I serve as chair of the City of Ypsilanti's Human Relations Commission, and this past December I was elected to the Democratic National Committee along with one of my running mates, Zara Abbas. We were elected by progressives and leftists in the party on a platform of challenging power and reforming the party to be fair, inclusive, transparent, and democratic. You can find our platform at mysolidarity.org platform. I'm also co-publisher of Michigan Progressive, producers of State of the Revolution. Check us out at michiganprogressive.com. I'm here with my co-host, Nikki Trim. How's it going, Nikki? Thanks, Liano, and thanks for asking me to join you here at State of the Revolution. I have been an on-the-ground activist, community organizer, and progressive political strategist off and on since 2008. I'm currently on the board of the Freed Peoples, an organizer with Let Our Voices Echo Grand Rapids, and an elected precinct delegate and member of the 3rd Congressional District Committee for the Democratic Party, as well as an alternate to the State Central Committee through the efforts of MI Solidarity to recruit more progressives into the ranks of the Democratic Party here in Michigan. I'm thrilled to be here as we discuss the state of the political revolution. Can you tell us more about the new format, Liano? Sure, but first I'd like to thank Benjamin Klan, Matthias Brimmer, Alex, uh, Alex Sahori, Ricky Reynolds, Carly Rose, and Joseph Hardy. Thank you for all your great work over the past two years on, 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 uh, on State of the Revolution here. You've been really great. They're taking a well-deserved break, but maybe back as COINTELPOD. Check out their Facebook page. So the new format, here's the plan. Every, week, every other week, we'll bring, it, we'll bring in frontline activists doing the work and ask them about their projects, how they're going, and what kind of support they'll be looking for. Then we'll discuss how their work fits into the national and international and global issues. The goal is to look at an issue at each level, at each scale of society, local, national, and global. We'll wrap up with some thought with some thoughts on how these issues fit into the big picture of social change around the world and over time. On the weeks in between, we'll be experimenting with different ideas. We'll likely have monologues, interviews, roundtable discussions, or if something else something else seems interesting, we'll try it out and see how it goes. That's the plan for the new format. So let's take it out for a spin. Who are we talking to today, Nikki? Thanks, Liano. Today, we have two of my favorite West Michigan organizers and activists and leaders. We have Karina Freeman, who is the president and founder of the Freed Peoples, a 501c4 nonprofit. And we have Cece Mosi as well. And she is with me on Let Our Voices Echo Grand Rapids, as well as also a board members of the Freed Peoples. So. They both have amazing stories to tell us here today, and I can't wait to get into it. Uh, Karina, do you want to tell us a little about yourself, and then we'll go to Cece. I would just love for you both to tell us a little bit about your journey from wanting to create change to getting into actually creating change the way you both do every day on the ground in West Michigan. Karina? Thanks, Nikki. Thanks, Nikki. Um, so to kind of think about where... I am now. I had to think about how I got here. And that took me 
back to 2012 um, when Trayvon Martin was murdered. Um, I was a junior in my undergrad um, and I was actually living in Japan at that time. Um, and I have two boys that are right around the same age as Trevon Martin was and would be today. And I was a social science, I was concentrating in social science at that time for my undergrad. And it was at that time when I first realized that America was a racist country. Um, and so it started way back in 2012. But again, I was living in Japan at that time. Um, I always spoke up for people. So at that time, I became the ambassador to the Japanese campus of my college, full of, uh, of multi-diverse multi students, but I became the ambassador um, to the university for the Japanese campus. Um, and there were eight of us, and then the eight of us together elected four to go and sit on the presidential board. I was one elected to the presidential board. So during that time, I began learning deeply about politics, um, but capitalism took over. And so when we moved back to America, I realized that I had to get a job. And so I started teaching. Um, and this was around about that time, it was about 2015 and we were living in Florida. I still had this passion in my heart that America was a racist country. I still had all these things that I learned in Japan about America. Well, Black Lives Matter had begun and it was because of Trevon Martin and I was there in the thick of it. Well, at this time in a mall in Sarasota, Florida, a young black man was discriminated against from going inside with a hoodie. And that set me off. It was about 2015 and that was my actual first time boots on the ground. Um, I took my husband, I took my older boys and we went out there with protests and the signs were, we had signs and things, jail, jail, dirty cops, you know, things like that. And that was my actual first time with boots on the ground. It was about 2015. Um, well, again, it was capitalism and I became a teacher. And so um, at that time I was a little bit shy because I wasn't sure how outspoken I could be as a teacher, um, especially being in a quite conservative district. And I lived through, saw John Crawford being murdered in Walmart. I don't know if you guys remember that. John Crawford was murdered in Walmart on television. And then Michael Brown, we, we all lived through Michael Brown. And then I Can't Breathe, we, we lived through all of these things. I remember going through all of these things and, and feeling fed up, I had to do something but I was a teacher, right? So I created um, a, a Facebook. It was called White on White Crime because I was tired of dealing with white people telling me, look, it's because black people are bad. You know, it's the crime. And so I created a Facebook page, which now has like over 10,000 followers called White on White Crime. And it was to show that crime is a proximity, right? It doesn't matter the, the race, it's a proximity. And, and so, um, I, I kept quiet, and so if you go there today, you'll notice that the, the creator's anonymous, but it, it was me. Um, and then I passed it on to my husband because I was in for my master's degree at that time, and I was really afraid that it was getting big and people would find out it was me, and so capitalism and, and white supremacy and everything like that really got a hold of me. Well, fast forward to um, around 2020, 
and I was a teacher in Muskegon to 80% of my class was black students. And we witnessed the lynching of George Floyd. And he called out for his mama. And that once again, awoken the, the, my ancestors, if you will. And I talked to my principal and I said, hey, deep down, I'm an activist. My degree is, you know, this is where my passion is. And she said, go for it. Right. And so she supported me all the way. And, and along the way, people have tried to dox me. They've called my school and, and they've really held me up. Uh, and, and then I started um, organizing with some local with some local groups in Grand Rapids, boots to the ground and protesting every weekend. And then I sat back and I said, I know how the sausage are made. Right, not a lot of BIPOC people are interested in politics, but I know that things happen, things change, and we are truly affected by politics. So in December, I talked to, to some friends and I said, Hey, what if we did this? You know, and, and my friend said, Well, let's do it. And so um, I created the Free Peoples. I talked to Cece, who's on the call, and I said, Let's come up with a name. And my last name is Freeman. And um, through that, we found out that uh, the first school after the Civil War for free Black children was called the Freed People's School. Being an educator, my last name being Freeman, it just, the Freed Peoples came alive. And, and so here we are. Wow. I, I actually did not know that that's how UNCC envisioned the name. I love that. Um, <laughs> such an incredible journey you've had so many different careers that inform the moment you're in right now Karina just the fact that you've been a frontline healthcare worker you've been a teacher you have lived internationally like you are bringing all of that to this moment and I can tell I tell a lot of people that you're actually the most organized organizer I've ever worked for or with because like you have the plan and it's just it's really beautiful to be a part of so thank you, thank you so much for that story Cece same question what has led you from wanting to make change to where you are as a change maker so I actually am not from Michigan I moved uh, from Michigan or to Michigan from California. Um, and when I was in California, I went to college and it a Pacific University. Um, we, I was involved with an organization called the Latin American Student Association. Cause I felt like I wanted to help within the community, but I didn't know how. So I was just plugging myself in different clubs, different orgs until I found a club that I like was like, oh, you know, they, they want to reach out to the people in the community and embrace the culture and, you know, educate other people. Um, and the big thing that we did in organization was bring in youth to college, bring in um, BIPOC youth uh, kind of to show them what the college experience is like, how to, you know, apply for FAFSA, how to apply for scholarships, um, how to, who to talk to when you want to, you know, uh, go to a college and, and view it um, because for I think for I'm a first generation college students my I immigrated from South America my mom and I and I didn't know you know how to do all of this and the fact that you know there was a group um, that I was involved with that was doing that it kind of it made me have a sense of purpose 
Um, and I remember we had a conference with that, with the with bringing in the high school students. And we, I don't know if you know about the walkouts that happened in the 60s and East LA where um, a bunch of high school Chicano students in East LA protested against ac academic prejudice and the really bad school conditions. And that kind of ignited a fire like, wow, like I can have a voice and it doesn't matter how old I am. I can like speak against racism, speak against prejudice. I don't have to, you know, be within the government or be political, politically affiliated to have a voice, to have um, that role. And I kind of took that fire momentum with me to Michigan. And I was like, you know, what's going on in Michigan? I was, I was almost ready to move back to California because I, I wanted to get involved. I just didn't know how to. And then the protest, um, you know, what happened to George Floyd um, sparked a lot of, of I guess, um, just desire to want change that enough, it was enough. And it was through those, um, that situation that, you know, Grand Rapids, like the people in Grand Rapids kind of woke up and like, okay, we need to speak against all this and we need to be boots on the ground. And I'm like, yes, I want to do that. Let's do it. So um, got involved in uh, an organization after the, the big protest happened last year in 2020. And then through that, I, I met, you know, Karina, I met Nikki, um, through different groups. I actually had worked with Karina before I worked um, in Freed. Um, but yeah, definitely. And then I guess through all this organizing, you get to meet a lot of people and you get to like collaborate on different things. So right now we're working on, you know, providing support for the unhoused. Um, we had an incident last, I think it was in the winter. Nikki, correct me if I'm wrong. Um, yep. Where a bunch of unhoused were at Heartside and they were being told that they had uh, a few hours to be moved or they were going to be arrested. And so we didn't want that to happen. So we did the best that we could to try to support them. And we ended up, you know, having to leave Heartside, unfortunately. And now we just provide support as much as we can to the unhoused and working on ways to provide the, the whole community um, with the resources because we live in such a capitalistic wor world that it's so hard to obtain the resources needed to live, you know, like, I personally don't believe housing, you, you should be charged for housing or to have the basic necessities to live. And I, the word is reimagine that, that term I learned just recently. And I, I want to be able, we want to be able to reimagine a world where we don't have to depend on capitalism to make things work. Absolutely. Yes, Cece. And I actually, it, this is great. Now we can just follow right up because I was going to ask you a little bit about what happened in Heartside this winter. It was actually the week of Christmas. Um, if you recall that our city, Grand Rapids, decided to, through the GRPD, um, evict over 120 tents of unhoused people in the heart of the city, which was um, it's Heartside Park. It's been a city that the unhoused have used my entire life since I've been in Grand Rapids. I'll you know, three decades at least here. And um, yeah, they, the, the encampment had been growing since, since September and it, they, they chose the week of Christmas to put up a 
72 hour notice that said everyone had to be out or they would be um, subject to trespassing, I believe, and that their belongings would be trashed. And consequently, we did have some members of the unhoused community whose belongings were trashed after organizers and activists with no support from the city moved over 120 tents. Um, can you tell, tell me a little bit about like the mood on the ground during that time? Like, tell us about like the zone that had been set up, like what we had been trying to do in Heartside Park and what subsequently happened. Yes, of course. So we set up uh, myself and a bunch of other um, organizers um, set up what it was called the zone and it was supposed to be an autumn how, how do you say that autonomous, it was an autonomous, autonomous zone autonomous. yeah I said it correctly. yeah and we were creating an zone. autonomous space um, and I had just came back from Louisville because I had a friend who had passed away and when I got back to to Michigan I was like oh this is great you know like um, helping stop the the eviction of these residents from there um, and so what we had uh, going on is we had uh, several tents set up with different like uh, stations and each station had like had different products like hygiene products, um, clothing, uh, food. We had people who would set up, um, sign up for days to, to bring food or to cook, for, uh, cook food and bring it um, or even have like different food supplies there so that if, you know, we had a day where we didn't we couldn't have someone cook we still had more you know food left over and people you know survived off of that but at first we were just very excited to have that support and be able to like kind of fellowship with with these individuals because they're human and some people don't realize that you know they they see the unhoused and they just keep walking they don't understand that these people are uh, people with feelings with dreams with goals aspirations um and we, we got to like meet different people um, until, you know, it was time for, you know, the eviction to happen. You know, the cops came and said, you know, you, you have so, so many hours to leave or else, you know, you'll get your stuff either thrown out or um, be arrested. And we were just trying to figure out exactly how to like kind of maneuver um, the situation and meet the the residents where they were at we weren't going to force them to you know go to a shelter which a lot of the the officers were telling the in-house to do you know go to a shelter and nobody and a lot of the individuals didn't want to go to a shelter because there's just you know so many issues with it being unsanitary there's a lot of discrimination um whether you're trans or you know um it's just wasn't a safe choice and a lot of the residents either wanted to stay or needed help moving somewhere or to be. And that's what we tried doing. But it was, um, I remember just being anxious all the time because I was just at that point, I wasn't thinking about myself. I was thinking about these people and like, I couldn't believe, you know, we have, and I'm gonna get a little bit political, but we have these, you know, the police department who swears that they are here to protect and serve when in reality, they're just oppressing the marginalized even more so. Absolutely. So you see, I, uh, one of the main things I remember being said to me by one of the residents down there was like, 
how can they separate us from our family the week of Christmas? Like they've been there since September, they have formed these bonds. Also, I would like to point out that Heartside Park was centralized to all of the resources for the unhoused in our city. Like that's the, that's one of the points of it. A lot of people didn't want to go into the shelter because you can only bring one bag with you. Some of these people were newly unhoused. They had all of their worldly possessions in a tent that doesn't fit in one bag. So it's a forced, forced poverty, even more situation. It's like, it's a stripping of dignity to tell people that you have to give up all of your worldly possessions to be worthy of a bed for the night. Um, so, and that's what was happening. They opened an overflow shelter, which was a congregate shelter, um, which I will always point out was against CDC guidelines at the time because of uh, the COVID-19 pandemic, the CDC said to leave unhoused encampments alone. But uh, GRPD and the GR City Commission still decided against CDC guidelines to go in, um, forcibly remove people. In the end, I remember after all of the gargantuan effort of community organizations that came together from all across the city, like this, there were probably about 10, if not more, community organizations on the ground. Um, this after Grand Rapids had invested millions in a homelessness outreach team in which the GRPD hired social workers uh, to support the unhoused, right? So how many um, actual shelters could we have purchased for those millions of dollars, right? Uh, the, the homelessness outreach team was on vacation the week the park was evicted. So that, they left the community during the pandemic, right? They left community organizers with no support to uh, try and assist over 150 people to find new shelter. And we also, certain community organizations that have been harassed by the GRPD because they speak out against the GRPD was actually followed during this time and told that if they uh, unloaded the people, unloaded an unhoused community member anywhere else in the city, because people were moving to different trails and different parks at this time, that they would be subject to arrest. Like if they unloaded the U-Hauls that, that had been packed up. So this is how Grand Rapids treats the unhoused. And this is the formation of Let Our Voices Echo Grand Rapids. We are a group of community organizers that have stayed together since this time, still supporting people that were forcibly evicted and others in the unhoused community in Grand Rapids and hoping to shed a light on this issue. So thank you for that, Cece, and letting and your perspective there because you were entirely instrumental down at Heartside and have been with Letter Voices Echo ever since. Um, I remember, you know, just trying to support in any way I could at Heartside at the time. And it was always call Cece, check with Cece, <laughs> Cece's the one. So. <laughs> it's so funny because I was actually a volunteer and it was my friends who created the zone. And then as soon as I got there, I'm like, okay, we just got to keep, got to keep doing this. We can't stop. We have to see these see this through because we can't just like kind of put ourselves and then kind of like retreat because they need us we're a community that's what a community does absolutely yep and love has continued to work to provide hot meals um we get tent requests all the time we get clothing requests so that is what we are about there with that mutual aid organization so you guys have thank a website? you we do <laughs> Uh, do you know what it is, Cece? Is it Let Our Voices Echo GR? I think it's lovegr.com. I would have to double check the Facebook. But... Yeah, we mostly use social media, um, but sure. someone did create a uh, website for us. Okay, so so. What's, what's, what's the Facebook page? Let it Our is... Voices Echo. 
let our voices echo. As um, two two hands like this, and in the back it has the the pride colors. Yeah, two hands in the shape of a heart. Um, Yes, and now Karina, I. It's a little separate from Freed, but uh, you have been working for the last year almost on the commission for the Allendale statue, the only Confederate statue in the state of Michigan. Um, can you tell me how you got involved with that commission? Tell me, tell me the story of this statue from your perspective, who you are someone who has been directly involved the entire time. So from a boots on the ground action, um, I was at a board meeting there and they, last year in 2020, right. and they didn't want to move on the statue. Right. And this um, is they, Allendale, Michigan. This is Sorry, Allendale, just... Michigan. Yes, Allendale, Michigan, the Confederate capital of Michigan. Um, we, we asked um, the board, you know, hey, this is offensive and gave the reasoning behind why there should not be a Confederate bars and stars flag in Allendale, Michigan. They didn't want to hear it. They didn't want to hear anything we had to say. And so we broke out in a protest. There were maybe 20 or 25 of us. We broke out in a protest, disrupted the whole meeting. They had to cancel the board meeting for the day. And so at the end, um, as, as, as everything was wrapping up, I saw Adam Allenbos, the, the, the head of the board, if you will. Um, and I said, hey, can I, can I have a moment to talk with you? I'm, I'm a member of this community. Um, can I talk with you? And I gave him my number. And sure enough, he called me and he said, hey, I'm, I'd be interested in what you have to say. And uh, he and I and, and Jesse, I don't know if, you, if you're familiar with her, um, she was um, uh, uh, she lived in Allendale as well at that time. Uh, we got on there and, and he was like, you know what? I'm thinking about something. And then he said, called me maybe a week later and he went, offered me the opportunity to sit on the board um, to talk about the statue. And so I was quite hesitant and we talked for hours and hours, days and days and days. And finally I said, okay, um, we agreed to five meetings in the very beginning um, just to kind of see what happens. And so it was kind of a, if you knew Adam, you got on the board or if, you know, if somehow you made space in his head or whatever, you got on the board. On the, on the committee. And so I guess I was just one of the ones that made enough loud, enough noise um, to be seen um, that he invited me onto the committee. The committee was actually asked for by the board, um, and, and that will be ironic at the end of this story, um, but the committee was asked for by the board. They didn't want to deal with it. Um, so they wanted people from the community to come together, talk about it, and and figure out a solution of what to do with this Confederate statue. Yeah, and uh, you had a monthly meeting, correct? For about 11 months, 10 months? Yes, we had uh, the first five meetings um, and then we realized we weren't going to be able to come to a 
consensus within that five meetings. And so we went back public um, and, and all of this was um, not public. This was not public so that we could kind of be open with what we were saying and our emotions and our feelings. Um, so none of this was actually, none of the meetings um, or the contents in the meetings were made public. Um, so then we came back public after the five meetings and we said, hey, we need five more meetings and the board granted us another um, five meetings. Nice. Now, it like, were there many people that were against keeping the statue? It was a kind of an even split or, um, and then you had kind of that, that discussion about why we should get rid of a racist symbol. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was actually, he, Adam did, I have to say he did a, a really good job um, with the selection. So there was for left, uh, for right, and you know, in the middle. Um, and so there were seven of us, and 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 it was a, a fair spread of of representations, I think. Okay, excellent. So, how, if you don't mind me asking, how did it feel to have to be in that space and like explain why this is racist to people? Um, it is very taxing, um, and through that. Through that experience, I um, I grew. I did find my wealth, and I learned through that experience that doing the the work of decentering whiteness is taxing. And so, from that, I am charging for that work. Um, I cannot. I can no longer do that for free because it is so taxing. After living through this past year, this past year, um, I lost sleep behind it. There was so much. I can't. I can't do this. I can't do the decentering whiteness for free. Um, and it, it it was emotional. It was very very emotional being the farthest left, if you will, some of the farthest in the room, and the loudest. So. Yeah. Oh my goodness. I so appreciate your work and your willingness to step into that space and fully support you being paid <laughs> again for um so and yeah i guess the conclusion of this story is that after they put you through all of this and said we don't want to deal with it we want a committee of community members to work this out themselves your committee did finally resolve to have the statue removed and what happened um, well, throughout the meetings, um, there, like I said in the beginning, there was a, a committee of seven. Um, we had 10 meetings, but nine of us, or it was six of us, who showed up for the majority of the meetings. There was one person on the, and on the committee who never showed up. And it just so happened, she was the farthest right. So it was her and I who really needed to come to the center together. She was not there. Um, so come the day of the actual vote she was the loudest one and I didn't want to speak because my voice had been heard this whole year my voice had been heard so I felt like I would speak after the vote right but she got up and she spoke and she was very loud about I didn't come to a conclusion that it's wait a minute you weren't there you weren't there the six of us had come to this conclusion you didn't because you weren't there and um it was a long process, but in the end, the six of us generally came to the conclusion that the best thing for this statue was to remove it from 
what is known as the Garden of Honor, place it somewhere where it can have historical context and then replace it with the three accurate statues depicting a Native American, an African American and a white soldier, a white American soldier um, from this area. And the stories that we have compiled about these three characters it, it was, we did a lot of work. We did a lot of work behind this for one person to then come and say, I don't agree. So in the end, the board says, it wasn't unanimous, we're not removing it. Are you kidding me? We did all of this work. And for one person who was there for three meetings, three out of 10 meetings to come in and say, I didn't agree. Well, you didn't do the hard work. How committed were you to doing the hard work? So in the end, they decided to keep the statue, not only keep the statue, but over this past year, there have, I believe your question asked, how, was it a split in the community? There were some very loud, take it down. And they had done some vandalism, quote unquote, vandalism to the statue. And so not only did the Allendale board decide to keep the statue, they decided to repair the statue. Um, and so very, very, very frustrating. Yeah, so Allendale, Michigan has decided to spend money to restore their racist Confederate statue. And isn't it just like the white supremacist in the room to not show up for the work and then be the loudest voice that gets centered? I applaud your willingness to enter those spaces um, and all of the work you did there. I am so sorry that it seemed like Allendale is not, it's still 1950s over there apparently. Um, the fact that they're even arguing about this, that they've let this controversy go on for over a year when it easily could have been removed. I don't know. Liano, do you have any thoughts on the presence of a Confederate statue here in Michigan? Well, I, it's, just, it's, it's, it's so ridiculous. I mean, the, the, I mean, literally, these people these people claim to be patriots, but they but 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 they worship traitors. I mean, to me, it's really yeah, <laughs> my it's husband. Really, my right, husband was a veteran for twelve years, and yeah. throughout all of this, not one time has he ever been called a patriot. Yet yeah. those who have never served our country over and over are called patriots. To me. Mm -hmm. Patriot is code word for racist. It's 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 about the same amount of syllables almost. Um, it's the new code word for racist. Yeah, I mean, to to me to, to me the thing is, for, from my perspective, I look I look at things I look at symbols in general. I mean, for for example, um, I don't do the Pledge of Allegiance because in a democracy, the government pledges allegiance to the people, not the other way around. Um, you know, and and and, yes. and that that kind of that 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 kind of um, uh, disparity between uh, how people think about uh, about patriotism and and, uh, and 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 what it, what it, what it actually entails uh, is you know I mean it's it, you know, the, the, when 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 they, when they, they they declare they declare some kind of allegiance to this uh, to this you know lost cause or this uh, 
this rebellion that was put down. I mean, these were these were traitors. Uh, these were traitors, and there's there's just no question about that. And the fact that they the fact that they uh, the fact that they, they they worship them is is I mean it's 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 really it's really uh, uh, it's really un-American. I, you know, I, I, I don't have any other word for it except un-American. Absolutely, more than traitors, they were. These are people that were literally fighting to keep humans in bondage. Mm -hmm. These, the fact that anyone would venerate them is akin to if Germany were putting up statues of Nazis, which we know they don't do because they're legally not allowed to. Right. Because they explain, um, just in case someone has never seen this statue. Yes, there yes, please, Karina. Is, it is a three-part statue. There is a Union soldier, a Confederate soldier, and a what's supposed to be a Black child at the feet of these men. When you look closely at the Black child, the Black child clearly has white features. And so if I can just for a minute go a little bit deeper into this, when we think about the time of the Civil War, okay, and we think about a child with curly hair, with white features, chances are that child's mother was a slave or enslaved and was raped. So now we could possibly be looking at a child of rape, okay? There are so, this statue is so deep on so many levels and it's so painful that, that I'm thankful that the other five members of the board or of the statue committee heard and understood this pain, that this to me symbolizes the modern cross burning in my front yard. This is what this is to me. And I was very thankful that the other five members of the committee heard me and understood that. And Adam heard, because Adam in the end did vote to take it down. He heard that and he posed to the committee he said, what if someone in your community said, this is painful and explain why this is painful. You know what they said? Well, I'm not racist. They never even answered the question. So that's how much they heard. And you know, it, it was a very painful, drawn out year long experience. So. so the way to prove that they're not racist is to in fact be racist. And at several of uh, board board events or board meetings that I've been to, they'll come and surround us, Trump, 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 you know, and it's like, are you serious? Oh. Like, it, yeah, it's it's pretty bad. And so from the from the last board meeting, I ended up leaving early, and I got some texts on my phone, and they told me, thank goodness you left because it, what they're saying would traumatize you. I was tra they traumatized me from from the from what they. The things that they say, I don't think, maybe they do understand how hurtful it is, I'm not sure, but we were called colored people that night, uh, the other night out at the out at the statue um, vote. We were called the colored people and those people and, and things like that, but they're not racist. You know, so. <sighs> wow. Not colored people, colored, the coloreds, you know, because we're still not white people yet. So the coloreds. <sighs> I, you know, I, I'm, it's, um, well, I, I, I keep seeing this meme on, on Facebook. It says, it says, um, it, it says uh, the fact that, that, that Native Americans want, I can't remember exactly what it says, want, want uh, 
uh, want recognition and not revenge uh-huh. uh, should tell you exactly who the civilized people are. Yep. And I would say the same thing about African Americans. You know, I mean, uh, the fact they want reparations instead of revenge, that tells you everything you need to know about which group of people is more civilized. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, Cece, you were on the ground in Allendale a few times there as well. Did What was your opinion of those? There, You know, as some, I went a couple times to Allendale, but to me there was a very different energy when the protest was in Allendale and we had those counter protesters versus whenever we're in Grand Rapids or other metropolitan areas. Was that for me or for CC? I was CC. Oh, you're muted, CC. Yes. Uh, so I haven't really been in Allendale, but I remember um, when we had that big protest and we, we had to get like just a bunch of people with you know guns and medics and all that because we were afraid to be there as BIPOC individuals and I don't think we should be afraid Um, and I remember being at that protest and just like observing everything and then having that um, I think it was uh, Ryan Kelly I don't know if it was for us was it a rally for Ryan Kelly Mm -hmm. it was just a rally and you know they were on the other side of the street completely far away from where we were and the we had a couple of men just come in trying to you know not uh just taunt us and at that point it's like why we are here you know we're doing our own thing we're speaking up what we feel needs to be said what is the purpose of you coming over trying to start up a fight and you know we didn't give them that and yeah, that didn't give them the satisfaction out, but it's like mm-hmm. why what 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 is the reasoning behind that like what do you get out of that i'll tell you what you get out of it what you what, what they get out of it is that if is that if you actually attack them then they're much more likely to be to, to be defended by the police than you are Mm. And that that day, they had the nerve, not only did a couple guys like literally try to come into our safe space, the whole gang of them, do you remember that, CC? Then decided to walk around where we were. And we had to move our, our armed guys to, you know, to the to the shield. It, you can finish talking, yeah. CC. Yeah. No, a- I remember that. They were, they... They had so, like I said, they had their rally at the other side of the street or the other side of the the park, and as Karina was saying, they would come around, marching around us, yelling Trump or or just ignorant things, and we were just like looking at them, like, what is going on? We we didn't want to engage with them because we felt like that didn't establish anything. Um, but we had, you know, some people in our group have that conversation with them, like, what's going on? This is what we're doing. Why, why do you feel that way? It was kind of interesting to see, like, kind of the, the interactions between our group and their group, too. And These were some of the guys who tried to kidnap the governor. These were mm-hmm. the same group of gentlemen who were out there that day. Several times, yeah. CC, we've, we've come face to face with those gentlemen. 
Yeah, gentlemen or domestic terrorists. Yes, as, 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 as being as, nice. What was I doing? Were, they don't deserve that. Yeah. They know. Yeah, these were <laughs> yeah. literally um, what main guy Phil, right? Yep. We're all mm-hmm. he us was in there West Michigan that day. He was yeah. there that day. Yep. Absolutely, Phil and his uh, squad of governor kidnappers. Yep. He, they were always out, try, especially in Allendale, and they were frequently personally invited by. Ryan Kelly, who is a board-appointed commissioner who stormed the Capitol on January 6th in Washington, D.C., and now thinks he gets to run for governor in Michigan. It's laughable and also completely tragic that he's still not been picked up by the FBI. because we definitely all saw that video of you walking straight into the Capitol building, Ryan Kelly. So <laughs> your time is coming. Um, I've had a chat with him. and. For my governor, I kind of want my governor to know what qualified immunity is. There's some things that I would like my governor to know that he doesn't know. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, yeah. No. Oh yeah, because the fascists, especially here in Michigan, don't need to know policy. They just need to know who they're trying to discriminate and oppress against. <laughs> yeah. So, so, um, what, what do you, what do you, what do you, how do you guys think that 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 uh, the that the two the two two topics that we've discussed so far the, about 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 the uh, statue and about um, and about the homeless situation, how do you think that fits into the to the to the wider context, the bigger picture? Um, what what do you what what do you how do you, how do you, how, do you, how do you feel um, in 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 your way of thinking about these things? What are the connections to uh, national or global issues? I can go first sure. um, as a teacher. I see the dynamics of schools changing and I see the dynamics of America changing and I think that's bringing fear um, to, to certain Americans and I, I think that's what we're seeing right now um, is the fear, maybe the loss of control because we're seeing and now we're really understanding that for the past hundred years we've been kind of duped um, and everything that we've learned has kind of not been the truth. And, and as we're coming to that, I'm seeing in America um, that things are changing and I'm seeing that pushback from that change. This is a part of that change. So I, w- I wanna make a point about, about the change. There's a, there's, there's a way in which our culture is changing right now um, that's different from anything that's ever happened before. Um, in, uh, uh, for, for the entire history of humanity on the face of the planet, up until a couple hundred years ago, the very best way, in the vast majority of circumstances, the very best way to do well in life was to do what your parents did. Starting a couple hundred years ago, that's no longer true, and it became no longer true for more and more and more people. Until today, it's no longer true for a great many people, the vast majority of people around the world. Um, and uh, uh, that... Um, that 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 shift in, in 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 the way in the in the way that you can do well in the world um is is a is is a um is a very is a very profound shift i don't, I don't think I don't, I don't think we've 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 uh, we've dealt with in a serious way yet and i think it's affecting a lot of the a, a lot of the anxiety and uh and the depression and the uh, um, uh, all all of these things that are that are affecting our culture on a wide scale, and I, yeah. So, I, what what do you think about that? What uh, what do you think about that shift that's going on there? 
I agree. Um, it as folks are getting hungrier. Um, it's we've never seen this before. Now we have eyes all over the world. We have the internet all over the world, and we're seeing this, and it's affecting us. And we're putting two and two together. We're all workers, and we're all poor. And I think it's within the next fifty years. I do believe that it's going to be completely, completely different all over the world. Absolutely, yeah. Karina. And I think going back to your point, Liano, about what are the connections between our story between the way Grand Rapids treated the unhoused community and what's happening with this Allendale statue. And I think when you get to it, ultimately, these are both examples of systemic failure that was built into the system, right? These systems were designed to fail these communities. Allendale does not care that their statue is offensive to the black community, to BIPOC communities. They do not, clearly, the past year has proven that they are perfectly fine living with their structural racism that is basically out and proud in the form of a statue. Um, Grand Rapids has proven over and over again that the unhoused community is not a priority. We have amphitheaters coming in. People are talking about aquariums and zip lines. We have a housing crisis in this city that is unprecedented in my lifetime of living in Grand Rapids. Like I right now my family for instance would probably be priced out of the housing market did we not actually purchase like a decade ago so it's the the prices i think you can't even get a one bedroom apartment for less than a thousand dollars in grand rapids at this moment um it's absurd and the way the city is prioritizing becoming that tourist town they want to be you know Grand Rapids for as conservative as all of our outlying areas is, which is also, you know, Allendale is what, Karina, 20 minutes from Grand Rapids? Yep. So mm -hmm. we have a the second largest urban area in the state of Michigan surrounded by enclaves of deep white supremacy, deep, deep structural races that, you know, this is all a part of the redlining and white flight. These communities were built on fleeing from diversity and from the black community and from other BIPOC communities living in their same area. So both of those stories are examples of where our system here is built on structural racism, built on, you know, end capitalism that has gone unfettered and is now an end stage capitalism that is not supporting anybody. And those are two fronts of the revolution we're fighting. Absolutely. Let me. I just want to want to point out, Karina. You mentioned that uh, you know we're all workers and we're all poor. Um, uh, you know, it's it's it's, it's interesting when when uh, you know they 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 uh, uh, they try the wet red baiting and calling everybody a socialist and all that kind of thing. Um, here, here's an interesting an interesting point about that is um, the 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 core of socialism. Even even the the right says this is the core of socialism is the workers control the means of production, right? Okay. How are the workers going to control the means of production? Not just some of the workers, all of the workers, because we're talking about all of the workers controlling the means of production. There's only one system that allows a great many people to have to have control to themselves individually have equal control of a single system. It's called democracy. Um, so I, I, you know, so 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 every every time they every time they criticize socialism, what they actually criticizing is democracy. Absolutely. 
And, 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 when they, and when they praise, I mean, I just had this, on, I was just on Facebook a couple of days ago talking to somebody about, about this very thing. And, um, um, you know, I'm, I'm, and I'm making all these points and they're coming back and they're saying, well, the, 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 the people that have the money have to be in control. They have to have, you know, control over, over these things because otherwise they won't invest. And blah, blah, blah. it's like, um, so you're, you're accusing me of wanting a totalitarian authoritarian, uh, authoritarian system, system of, 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 of government. And here you're literally insisting that. That that, that, that that you must have a, a, a totalitarian system of government uh, in the workplace where most of us spend most of our time okay so absolutely what what, what is what where, where, where do you, where, where does where does freedom come in where does liberty come in where, do, where, do, where does any of that come into your system if we can't we, we, we have to have this totalitarian top-down control it's I mean it's 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 just um, it, well, the, 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 let me, I'll give you a little bit of history. Um, you know that, uh, um, that uh, uh, in the 1880s, um, the main, mainstream, mainstream economics uh, decided to stop being scientific like it had been under Smith and, and Ricardo and even Marx uh, and, became, and became mythical because they started using this idea called perfect competition. Where um, uh, you know where everybody has perfect knowledge of the market, okay, and there are many, 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 many firms in each market, okay, and these two things are uh, there are there are there's other things that, that they assume as well, but th these two things are just pure fantasy. Nothing works that way, okay, yes. and they've built the entire edifice of modern orthodox economics yes. and heterodox economics because Keynesianism is just a reflection and so we don't have perfect competition we have imperfect competition yes. so you start with this one and you, and you and you modify it a little bit till you get to here this is just like pre-copernican astronomers taking their armillary spheres and adding on and, and, and adding on little epicycles everywhere yes. um, that, that's exactly the same thing so what we're what, what, what we've been defrauded by over the last 150 years is mainstream economics, and the yes. reason we've been defrauded by it is because uh, is is because we have um, is because we have a bunch of really well wealthy people uh, who are uh, uh, who are paying to make sure that people defraud uh, 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 the population about how economics works. Yes, in my Absolutely. undergrad, uh, in my undergrad, I was. I dropped out. I didn't drop out of many classes, but I dropped out of uh, Economics 101, I think it is, the, the very basics, because I had an argument with my professor, like within the very first two weeks. The very first assignment was, okay, so what should we do, guns or butter? And I said, no, guns and butter. And we, it took off. And I dropped out of class, because I said, you are not going to brainwash me. I was just learning that America was racist at that time, you know? So I completely <laughs> agree, Leonardo. Yeah, no. If you if you look look at any look at any mainstream economics textbook, whether 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 it's whether it's uh, uh, whether it's neoclassical or Keynesian or post or, or post Keynesian or anything anything like that, anything like that, even some of the Marxist except except this uh, this uh, uh, perfect competition bullshit. Um, uh, but if you look at any of them, they're all like that. I mean, I've, I've got one over on the shelf over here that I just picked up at one point and started reading, and like I couldn't get ten pages into it without going. This guy's asking me to be, believe three impossible things every other page. 
What the? I mean, you know, this this is ridiculous. And and you know, and it's interesting. There's a there's a guy by the name of uh, Anwar Sheikh, um, who's a uh, professor at the uh, New School for Social Research in uh, in New York, and uh, uh, he put out a he put out a book recently. I guess a couple of years ago, four years ago now, called uh, uh, Capitalism. What is it? Capitalism. Competition, conflict, and crisis, um, and uh, uh, he basically takes it all apart. It's it's a very really really good book. I'd recommend it. He's got a YouTube series up uh, up about it as well. But um, but I, I just want I just want want to want to point out that that that, that housing, um, um, how, how what's happening right now in housing on the national level. Uh, is is we're seeing a huge numbers of of of, uh, of corporate buyers come in, investors that are just looking to turn in it, turn turn whole swaths of of of, uh, of housing into into uh, into rentals, and if you think about it, what what that's what, what what what's really going on there is they're making America into a company town, they're making the whole country into a company town. Does everybody know what what a company town is? Like with the like like in the uh, the mining mining towns of uh, of the uh, early uh, early 1900s. You guys like know the about company that? store where they you only get paid and then you can only you get paid in uh, chips instead of money and you can only spend those chips at the company store. That's right. You get you get paid in company script, which is only good at the company store. Uh, which means that they can control and it, well you have to pay you have to pay their rent in company script as well. Because it was a company town, they they were mining towns, so they, there's no reason for anybody to be there except for the mine. So they set up the whole town, and then they set up the store, and they pay the rent, and they go, okay, so we pay, we 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 can, we should pay you just just enough that you can make rent and you can buy food, and as long as we don't pay you much more than that, you're not going anywhere. You're going to stay here and work for us forever. Sounds like sharecropping, a little bit better than sharecropping because in sharecropping they were always in debt. They right. could never, yeah. Okay. Okay. Right. I see. I see. Right. 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 Yeah. So, so, so that's that's what they're doing. So, so you're gonna have, so we're gonna have Amazon is the company store, and we're gonna have, um, you know, the Koch brothers and 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 a couple of their uh their buddies that are, you know, that 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 are the landlords. Um, and 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 they already know exactly how much everything costs. So they can very easily just write an algorithm and say, okay, this is how much we're going to pay people, so that just barely enough to pay to, to make food, to make rent and pay and, and buy food. Um, Funny and, enough, I was recruited by the Koch brothers early, early when I was still in my undergrad years, still in Japan. I guess they said she's going to be a voice. Let's quiet her or something. But I didn't. Obviously, I didn't take that position. Yeah, they were trying to recruit me. Yep. <laughs> oh my goodness, what a life you could have led, Karina. Yeah. <laughs> yes, no, I, I was Candy, uh, Candy, Candace Owens, you know, if I would have sold out today. <laughs> oh, goodness. I am so glad oh that God. you did it. You'd be much more better than Candace Owens. <laughs> no, well, but it. Um, I was just daydreaming today, Liano, about nationalizing Amazon. I They had the audacity to air a commercial um, that was that said over like 50% of like basically putting them as like the small business champion, like saying that we support small businesses. And so that's over 2.2 million jobs. And I'm just like, wow, yeah. they're really going there. The propaganda is strong with this one today. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 
That's uh, that's that's really funny. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Break so, it up. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. So so I mean these are these are these are these are uh, uh, long-standing trends in, in in our culture that, and we we I think I think it's I think it's important to think to think about them at the big uh, on on the big picture scale and see how they uh, how they develop over time and through culture because. Um, what we really want to do uh, at the end of the day, what we're, what we're really after is we need to change the culture. And the way to change the culture is to change the stories we tell. Uh, because stories stories are, are, are where our culture is recorded. And if we keep telling the same stories, we're going we're, we're gonna, to we're, we're gonna keep reproducing the same problems. Absolutely. Which is why I'm so glad Karina and Cece shared some awesome stories with us today about the work they have been doing on the ground in West Michigan. I am so in awe of everything you both do every day. And as someone who gets to see it through working in similar organizations, I have a great vantage point to watch all of the love and energy and passion and commitment you pour into your communities. So thank you for that. Thank you. And uh, honestly, I, I think it's, also nice seeing you know the younger generation getting involved and learning more about the different things that we talk about like democracy and you know socialism and you know i feel kind of what's the word hopeful for the generations to come that are educating themselves and stepping up and using their voice to make a difference absolutely I feel exactly the same way because I look around when we are on the ground and 10 to 1 it's like Gen Z and it's early 20 year olds and as uh, frustrated as I can get to be like where are all the millennials where are all the people that went to college with me and said they believed in these things um, it's also just equally so impressive to see the energy that the young people are putting into this because they are there they are not messing around they are showing up for the revolution because they know their lives depend on it. They are cognizant enough to understand structural racism and climate change, and they have the internet, right? They are not mm -hmm. confined to the boxes that previous generations were confined to by these ideas, by white supremacy and all of the things that try to keep everyone divided. These kids have the technology and the access and the willpower to actually change the world. And, and and that but and, and that's exactly how we're going to do it because if you go back and look at history you look at you look at the invention of writing was an explosion of uh, of of, uh, of innovation over over a very long period of time and it was a slow explosion but the invention of writing created that explosion and and and, and that explosion pushed culture in a certain direction because you got a whole bunch of different stories and you could see that if you compared the stories, a whole bunch of the, the, there was a whole bunch of the stories that didn't make any sense and that and that and that contradicted each other. But the stuff at the center of the stories, stuff like, for example, uh, stuff like uh, you know, there there are all kinds of cultural cultures all over the world had a story about why the sun rises in the east and sets in the west and where it goes at night, um, and all of them are completely wrong except for the fact that the sun rises in the east and sets in the west and goes somewhere else at night. So those you got all those stories being told by many many different people and one of the things that happens is you, is you start to develop science because you start to notice that there are things that 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 actually are true regardless of which culture you're in 
um, and so that and, and, and end up being materially true, um, you know, in, in, in terms of the material world. Um, and uh, so that was writing. And then we had another explosion uh, when, with the invention of the printing press, uh, uh, which, 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 you know, was a, a major part of the scientific revolution of the, of the scientific revolution and then the industrial revolution and now the computer revolution. And one of the things that I think is, is, is not well, well appreciated by a lot of people is that, um, is that um, the, uh, the, the cutting edge of science right now, the, bio, the, the, the biotech and the, uh, and, the, uh, uh, and the quantum computing and, 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 and all kinds of things like that, an awful lot of the, the, the climate science also, a lot of that has been made possible by mathematics that's only 60 years old. Imagine what that's going to be when that mathematics is 200 years old, like calculus is right now. Wow. I hope our planet and well, I hope our species survives that long on the face of this planet. Because as Liana and I have talked many times about climate change, which is a huge passion of mine, the planet's going to survive. It's going to be us that like takes our, our ability to live here out. So, <laughs> but yes, to 200 years from now, I can only dream of what that math will do. Well, 2050, they're talking the singularity. I don't want to go way off, but, you know, might not be 200 years. might be sooner than you think. You're talking about the AI singularity? On my, for my master's and hopefully one day PhD, uh, PhD I study consciousness. So way, way, way off topic. <laughs> but, okay. yeah, you, so you, interesting, so, though. Yeah. So, so uh, a couple of things about that. Number one, I, I disagree with you, by the way. I think it's a lot harder than most people think it is. Uh, uh, and secondly, uh, have you read Daniel Dennett? Of course. Okay, okay, <laughs> he is cool, one of cool. my, if I could meet him, I would make him my personal mentor. But yes. Yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Absolutely. Awesome. Absolutely. I, I would like to be like him one day. But in, in, in the philosophy and social science world, you have to be great in order for people to hear you. And Unfortunately, being a black woman, it's I'm not really in that space that well. But uh, when I talk to my my professors, who's going to help me through my PhD, they're like, the way you're talking about this is a way that no one's ever talked about it. I won't give too much um, about my future, um, but yeah. Well, well, <laughs> well, 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 well let, let's uh, let's let, let, let's have another conversation sometime soon because I I, I think that. Uh, there's a lot of stuff we could talk about that'll be interesting, and maybe, maybe we'll do a, we'll do an interview. Uh, like I said, uh, every other week we're doing we're we're doing this format, and then in the weeks in between, we're doing interviews and other stuff. Uh, I think it'd be it'd be great to have you on. Absolutely, I hope both Karina and Cece will come yeah, back yeah. and share with us frequently. Um, but yeah, I mean, yeah. Liano, do you want to wrap us up? Do you have a um, um, so I, I, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't know that I have that I that I have anything great or profound, but uh, I, I think we've just talked about it a lot of a lot of the stuff that we've just we, we've just mentioned uh, uh, with the way that the way that the way that cultural evolution is is going and and being driven by the technology that that we're that we're just we're just getting into the infancy of really. Um, so uh, 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 I think that I think that's good. I think I, I, I think I think we're going to listen. I guess the one one thing is um, uh, I don't think I ever heard uh, contact information for the freed peoples. Oh, oh. Yeah. Yeah. 
Karina, sure. go for it. Um, if you have a minute, I can tell you what we're doing right now. We are in the sure, middle of sure. lots and lots and lots of different um, different initiatives. Um, one initiative we're talking about, which I don't want to go into because it will start a whole nother conversation. We are supporting 12 um, police reforms coming through the Senate here, through the Michigan Senate. Um, and that has to deal with no-knock warrants. That has to deal with um, chokeholds and things like that. We are also um, just beginning to uh, help folks with no IDs get IDs. So that you can use IDs for, you know, IDs are needed for everything, but most importantly, they're also needed to vote. So we're helping folks get IDs and it's be at no cost, uh, whatever the process, we'll help you through it at no cost mm -hmm. to you. Um, we also, a big part of our mission is to educate the community. So every month, um, once a month, we have a, what we call a teaching. Uh, CC mentioned back in the day, well, this idea came from the 1960s and 1970s uh, when they would sit at the feet of these leaders and just listen to them teaching. So every month we have a teaching with different local leaders where we invite the community to come in and listen and learn these different perspectives. Um, I'm sure I'm missing, I'm missing something else. I'm trying to, we also have monthly seminars fully free, fully virtual, where we have leaders from all across the Amer from all across America come in and teaching us about um, different events. Oh, and the biggest one, redistricting. None of this would be possible. It wouldn't matter how we vote if the lines are gerrymandered. So currently in Muskegon, the lines are terribly drawn. We have a big initiative right now to, um, to get the voices appropriately placed in Muskegon. So, and you can find us on Facebook, The Free Peoples. You can find us on Twitter, Free Peoples, um, and the website, www.thefreepeoples.com. And my email address, reenafree at thefreepeoples.com. Very cool. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Karina sure. and Cece. Thank you. Thank you thank for having you. me. Thank you for having me. Great, great. Thanks for listening. You can find State of the Revolution on your favorite podcast platform or on the Michigan Progressive website, michiganprogressive.com. If you're listening on YouTube, hit the subscribe button. And if you like the work we're doing, consider making a monthly contribution at patreon.com slash michiganprogressive. 